Okay, brothers and sisters, uh, praise us be to our loving Abba that we are gathered once again to continue to study the words of God. We're going to look at the history of God's people and we begin with Numbers 31. So we're about to complete or finish the book of Numbers. But before we do that, let us look at what Yahuwah God gives as an instruction to Moses, which would basically be his last stand, his last assignment before he dies. What was that? Numbers 31, 1 to 2. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, on behalf of the people of Israel, take revenge on the Midianites for leading them into idolatry. After that, you will die and joy join your ancestors. So prior to the death of Moses, he was given the last assignment. And so we can say this is the last battle led by Moses, because after this, he's going to join his ancestors in death. And so what is the instruction of Yahuwah God to Moses? He is to act on behalf of the people of Israel to take revenge on the Midianites. Do you still remember the Midianites? They were the ones who were tricked and deceived by some prophet, false prophet. What was his name? The sorcerer? Balaam, right? So the Moabites, the Midianites, they worked together and they convinced the people of Israel to act in idolatry and immorality through the use of the Midianite women. And so this led to God's curse, a plague that almost destroyed the whole people of Israel. And so Yahuwah wants to act with revenge against the Midianites. So this is a war that was mandated by God himself. Hence, we call it a holy war because it's from Yahuwah's command. He is the one who says, go attack and destroy the Midianites. And so how does Moses carry out, carry out this instruction? Numbers 31, 3 to 5. So Moses said to the people, choose some men and arm them to fight Yahuwah's war of revenge against Midian from each tribe of Israel, send 1,000 men into battle. So they chose 1,000 men from each tribe of Israel, a total of 12,000 men armed for battle. So how did Moses carry out the instruction that Yahuwah God gave him? Moses chose 1,000 men from each of the tribes. So that would total 12,000 men armed for battle. So they're going to fight a holy war. Bible calls it Yahuwah's war because it's Yahuwah who instructed or commanded them to fight this war against the Midianites to destroy and annihilate the people from Midian. And so who was Yahuwah's chosen servant to lead them in the actual battle? Let's read Numbers 31 verse 6. Then Moses sent them out 1,000 men from each tribe and Phineas. Do you remember Phineas? Phineas, son of Eleazar the priest, led them into battle. They carried along the holy objects of the sanctuary and the trumpets for sounding the charge. Who was the chosen servant of God that would lead in the actual battle? Phineas, son of Eleazar. Now, if you so remember, Phineas was the one who pleased God the most. If you still remember what happened when Israel fell into idolatry and immorality because they were deceived by Balaam and the Midianites, we know there was a plague that God used to punish the people of Israel. And while they were repenting, there's this man, a leader of the Israelite clans. His name was Zimri. He brought in, right, right before everyone's presence, he brought in a Midianite woman to have intercourse with her. Phineas, when he saw that, of course, he killed both of them. And so he was chosen by God to lead this war against the Midianites. And so when Phineas did what he did, the plague stopped. So Phineas was the chosen servant of God because he saw the zeal of Phineas. And so when they went for battle, who did they have victory over? Numbers 31, 7 to 8, they attacked Midian as Yahuwah had commanded Moses. And they killed all, all the men, all five of the Midianite kings, Evi, Rechem, 
Zur, Hur, and Reba die in the battle. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. So in this battle, in this war that was led by Phineas, were they victor victorious? Yes, it was a rather swift victory for the people of Israel because this was Yahuwah's war and Yahuwah was behind them. And so they killed all the men and they killed five of the Midianite kings. Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, who is one of the kings that you remember there. Zur, he had a son. He, I mean, Zur had a daughter. Her name was Cosby. Who was Cosby? She was the one who was brought in by Zimri, right? And so her father was Zur. So the five Midianite kings... They were all put to death, including the one who started it all. What's his name? Balaam, son of Beor. So this was a swift war. Victory was guaranteed by Yahuwah God, and indeed he delivered. So after this uh, victory, and they got the plunder from the Midianites, what did they do next? Let's read verses 9 to 12. Then the Israelite army captured the Midianite women and children and Caesar cattle and flocks and all their wealth as plunder. They burned all the towns and villages where the Midianites had lived. After they had gathered the plunder and captives, both people and animals, they brought them all to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the whole community of Israel, which was camped on the plains of Moab, besides the Jordan River across from Jericho. So when they gathered the plunder, including the women, the children, the cattle, and the flocks, and all the gold, and they presented it to Moses and Eleazar the priest, what was the response of Moses when he saw all of that? Let's read 13 to 14. Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the community went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was furious with all the generals and captains who had returned from battle. And so when Moses saw the plunder, saw the women, the children, the gold, the cattle, what was his reaction? Bible says he was furious. He was meek Moses, but he was furious. Do you know why Moses was furious? Because they failed to do something. What was that? What was Moses so upset and furious about? 15 down to 16. Why have you let all the women live? He demanded. These are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel against Yahuwah at Mount Peor. They are the ones who caused the plague to strike Yahuwah's People. So why was Moses so upset? Because they did not kill all the women. Remember, this war was because of God's judgment. The judgment by Yahuwah God was already handed out. And there were people perhaps who were questioning the judgment of Yahuwah. Who are we to judge Yahuwah because of his judgment? Perhaps we're saying to ourselves, well, these are just women. Well, there's something deeper about the situation. Yahuwah cast his judgment because the women followed Balaam's advice and they seduced the people of Israel into committing heinous sins against Yahuwah, our God. And because of this, the plague almost consumed the people of Israel. So, Yahuwah, so Moses was upset because they did not completely carry out the judgment of Yahuwah, our God. And so... What did Moses tell, tell them to do? Numbers 31, 17 to 18. So kill all the boys and all the women who have had intercourse with a man. Only the young girls who are virgins may live. You may keep them for yourselves. And so this is one of the most difficult passages of scripture because we're trying to process this passage in light of our understanding of ethical morality, right? Because Moses tells them to kill all the boys. That's number one. And then Moses tells them to kill all the women, right? Except for those who are virgins. 
and they can be kept uh, by the people of Israel to serve as servants who will work uh, together with them. And eventually they would assist it with the, the, the work of the Levites. Okay, so, but the point is, there could be a moral problem that have been mentioned by people who read this passage. In fact, there are people who use this passage and say, how can we worship God who condones something like this? Because Moses, when he gave the command, kill all the boys and all the women who have had intercourse with a man, that, was, that decision was not from his own will. This was Yahuwah God's decree. And so how can we reconcile our understanding of morality with this decision from Yahuwah God to kill all the boys and all the women who have had intercourse with the man? So some have questioned God and the Bible, but why? Why are we sure that Yahuwah was right? He was correct in his decree against the Midianites. We will now address that issue because I know a lot of people are thinking about that. And so before we, we go ahead and look into it further, let us first understand certain things about Yahuwah God and also his creation. In the book of Numbers 10 verse 14, look the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to Yahuwah your God. Let's not forget this point because we are so quick to judge God, to judge his actions when we don't even understand our position. What is our position? We are created. Who is the creator? Yahuwah, our God. We are but creations of God. And so we have no right to judge God, to evaluate what God does because he can do whatever he wants. Because after all, him being the creator created everything and it all belongs to Yahuwah, our God. Was he, was there someone who co-created the heavens and the earth with him? Let's read the book of Deuteronomy 32, 39. Look now, I myself am he. There is no other God but me. I'm the one who kills and gives life. I'm the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. So Yahuwah God is telling us that because he is the only God who created the heavens and the earth, all life belongs to him. And so he has sovereignty over life and death. He can make decisions without having to consult with anyone because everything belongs to him. And so the first principle we need to understand, number one, Yahuwah's sovereignty as the only creator of the heavens and the earth. But why else are we sure that Yahuwah was right in his decree against the Midianites? Let's read the book of Psalms 75, 6 to 7. We know that God is sovereign. He can do whatever he chooses to do. But in addition to that, what can we understand about the sovereignty of God? Psalm 75, 6 to 7. For no one on earth, from east or west or even from the wilderness, should raise a defiant fist. We cannot question Yahuwah God. It is God alone who judges. We don't judge God. He is the one who judges us. He decides who will rise and who will fall. And so the Bible says that the one who will judge is Yahuwah our God, not we. And when Yahuwah God will judge, what does he follow? Let's read the book of Psalms 9, 7 to 8. Yahuwah reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. And the Bible says, Yahuwah God is the only judge, and he is the only one fit to judge because he is the only one who can judge with righteousness and justice. Perfect righteousness and perfect justice is needed for one to be a perfect judge. Is Yahuwah God a perfect judge? Absolutely. Are we perfect judges? Are we? Can we properly evaluate all things? I don't think so. I mean, even 
the most well-intentioned judges who serve at the Supreme Court, they make mistakes too, right? This is why there are people who are falsely accused of a crime and sentenced sometimes to death, even though later on they find out because of DNA evidence that the judge's decision was, a, was an error, it was a mistake. This is because as human beings, we can never be perfect judges. And so when we question God, it is like a, an imperfect creation judging a perfect creator who knows all things. It doesn't make sense. Only God can be a perfect judge because only God can judge with perfect righteousness and perfect justice. Why is that? Why is God the only one fit to make a judgment? Let's read Hebrews 4.13. No creature can hide from God. Everything is uncovered and exposed for him to see. We must answer to him. Why is God and God alone the perfect judge? Because he can see all things. No one can hide from God. Even if you keep it a secret, it is no secret to God. Everything is exposed to Yahuwah to see, including what? Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, Yahuwah, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all the people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. And so when Yahuwah God made the judgment, made the decree concerning the killing of the Midianites, it was based upon what he knows, what he sees, because he can see things and knows things that we don't. This is why we have no right to question his judgment about the Midianites. He can see the heart of a person. And he can see the motives of a person. And we cannot do that. Yahuwah God knows this. And so he looks at the heart. He looks at the person. And then he makes his judgment. So that it is based on righteousness and based on Justice And how was this illustrated in the Holy Scriptures? Genesis 18, 25 to 26. Surely you don't, surely you wouldn't do such a thing. Destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And Yahuwah replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. And so here's a conversation that Jehovah God is having with his one of his servants whom he considers his friend. What's his name, if you still remember? It was with Abraham. Because Jehovah God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham was concerned. And he tried to convince Jehovah God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he goes to Jehovah, I know you're a righteous God, right? And so if there are righteous people in Sodom, you're not going to destroy the land. And so Yahuwah God says, yeah, of course. Yahuwah God knows exactly what he's doing. And so he's having this conversation with Abraham because he wants to show him his righteous judgment. And so when they have the conversation, Yahuwah says, okay, if there are 50 people, I will spare Sodom. If there are 50 people who are righteous. And when they continue the conversation in verse 32, finally, Abraham said, Lord, Please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And Yahuwah replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. And so Yahuwah God agrees, okay, if there's, if there's 10 who are righteous in Sodom, then he will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But the truth of the matter is there were zero, not even Lot would be considered righteous because all of us by ourselves, we are in Perfect. And so, Yahuwah God, we know when he makes a judgment, when he makes a decision, it's always based upon his righteousness and upon justice. At the same time, however, yes, he is righteous and just in his judgments. But what does he temper that with? Let's read the book of Psalms 89, 13 and 14. How powerful you are. How great is your strength. Your kingdom is founded on righteousness and justice. 
love and faithfulness are shown in all you do. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he is a God of justice, but he's also a God of love and mercy and faithfulness. This is why, because of his mercy and his love, what does he say about people who are living in wickedness instead of righteousness? Ezekiel 33, 11, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Yahuwah, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked way so they can live. Turn. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? And because of God's mercy and his love, what does he not want to happen? He does not want people who are wicked to die. Instead, he wants them to repent, to turn from their wickedness so that they can live. And so, yes, because Yahuwah God is a God of holiness and righteousness, he will act with justice. But because he is love, he will also act with mercy. There's that balance that Yahuwah God determines. This is why God gives the opportunity for people to repent. Can you imagine if Yahuwah God does not give people at all an opportunity to repent? What would happen to all of us? Would we still be here? None of us would be here, right? The only reason why we are here is because God is giving us the opportunity in his loving kindness and mercy for us to repent and to turn from our wickedness and to return to him. How was this illustrated? The perfect justice of God, the perfect judgment of God. Let's read the book of Genesis 15, 13 to 16. Then Yahuwah said to him, to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And so according to the Holy Bible, there is a certain tipping point that we cannot cross as Yahuwah God gives us an opportunity to repent from our sins. Case in point, the Amorites. Yahuwah God makes a promise to Abraham. You're going to inherit this land as a promise. However, it's going to take about 400 years. Why? Because Yahuwah God just cannot just remove the Amorites and the people living in Canaan because their sins has not yet reached its full measure. Yet Yahuwah, because he is eternal, knows eventually that's going to happen, but it's going to take 400 years. And so basically, Yahuwah God gave him 400 years to repent and to turn to God. So the point is, Yahuwah God, in this instance, uh, has illustrated for us that when he makes a judgment, for example, to destroy a city or a people, he will consider everything and he will act according to his righteousness and also according to his mercy. What was his mercy? He gave them the opportunity for hundred long years. This is why when Yahuwah God decided to destroy the Midianites completely, it was because they have already reached the full measure of their sins. It was too late to repent. God has made his judgment. And it was to be carried out by Moses. This is why, despite the fact that Yahuwah God is merciful because he is just, he will punish those who commit sin and lead his people to also committing sin. And so even after that, however, what does Yahuwah God uh, remind the people of Israel, the value of life, just because Yahuwah God tells them to kill or to, to destroy the, uh, the people of Midian. It doesn't mean that Yahuwah God is no longer valuing human life. He is. As a matter of fact, even after 
the people of Midian were killed. What did Yahuwah God say to the people of Israel? Numbers 31, 31, 19 to 20. And all of you who have killed anyone or touched a dead body must stay outside the camp for seven days. You must purify yourselves and your captives on the third and seventh days. Purify all your clothing too and everything made of leather, goat hair, or wood. And so even though God was the one who commanded them to kill, because this was Yahuwah's war, and Yahuwah God still tells them that if you killed, if you touch a dead body, you still have to purify yourselves. Because Yahuwah wants to make sure they understand that human life is very sacred. And so one has to go through the process of purification if one is to take another person's life. In Numbers 31, 12 to 14, what else was needed for them to be able to return to camp? And Eleazar the priest said to the men who were in the battle, Yahuwah has given Moses this legal requirement, anything made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, or lead, that is, that is all metals that do not burn must be passed through fire in order to be made ceremonially pure. These metal objects must then be further purified with the water of purification, but everything that burns must be purified by the water alone. On the seventh day, you must wash your, your clothes and be purified, then you may return to the camp. And so even though Yahuwah God himself was the one who gave the instruction to kill the Midianites, they still have to go through the process of purification to be made right with God Again, again, this shows us that Yahuwah God maintains a high, high regard for human life. And so why was Yahuwah right in his decree against the Midianites? Number one, Yahuwah's sovereignty as the only creator. Number two, Yahuwah judges with perfect justice and righteousness. And one more thing, the book of Job 38 verse 17 then Yahuwah answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? I want to pause there for a while. Who was Yahuwah God referring to? Who was questioning Yahuwah for his wisdom with ignorant words? Who was that? You know who that was? Job, right? Because he went through a lot of suffering as a human being. There was a point when he was asking a lot of questions to Yahuwah God. And so Yahuwah, all of a sudden, one day shows up before Job and then says to him, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Because when we look at the life of Job, it, it appears to be, if we were to judge, that maybe he has a case, right? Maybe he has a case against God. But when God shows up, when he begins to answer the questions of Job, he asks Job a question, who is this? That questions my wisdom with such ignorant words. Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning star sang together and all the angels shouted for glory. And so when Job was questioning God, why was all of that happening to him? What was Yahuwah's answer to him? He answered with a question, why are you questioning my wisdom? In other words, who are we? Even if it appears, because sometimes it may appear that we might have a case against God. Do you think we have a case against God? No way. Why? Because the Bible says, how can we dare question the wisdom of God? It's the only way for us to have a case against God is if we are wiser than he is, right? But if we are not wiser than God, and God gives the point, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth. In other words, there are things that we human beings are not privy to, that only God knows. And because of this, he has wisdom that we cannot comprehend. And because of that, 
there is no basis for us to ever question the judgments of our almighty creator. Why must we never question the wisdom of God? Let's read the book of Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says Yahuwah. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Does that make sense? He's creator. We are created. He's eternal. We are not. He's almighty. We are not. He's omniscient. We are not. And so because of the qualities of God compared to our limited qualities, his ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And so when we try to process the situation with the Midianites, killing the boys, killing the women who had intercourse, when we try to process it, we begin to use our understanding, but God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He sees things that we cannot see and knows things that we cannot know. Why is that? Isaiah 46 verse 10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. You see, there are things God knows that we don't. Like what? Oh, like the future, right? God can see the future. God can see what the ramifications of sparing the Midianites will be moving forward. We don't because our knowledge is limited. God knows the future as though it has already happened. Not only does he know the future, he also knows and can see hidden dangers. What if one of those boys who were spared eventually grows up and leads again another Midianite? Uh, another problem presents itself that would endanger the people of Israel. Because you have to keep in mind, Yahuwah God has a purpose for Israel that was not completely understood by the people of Israel and Moses, right? Yahuwah God has a purpose for all of this. He doesn't haphazardly do anything. When he makes a judgment, when he makes a decision, he considers everything. And he will make sure that his purpose will stand. He will do as he pleases. What is his purpose? That he wants to do according to his pleasure. That he will not let anything or anyone destroy. I wonder what that is. Ephesians 1, 4-7. Even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be his through our union with Christ. So that we would be holy and without fault before him. Because of his love, God had already decided that through Yahushua Christ, he would make us his children. This was his pleasure and purpose. Let us praise God for his glorious grace, for the free gift he gave us in his dear son. For by the blood of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. And so when Yahuwah God was interacting with Moses and was speaking to the people of Israel, and when all the events happened that led to Israel being cursed and, the God, and God sent a plague that almost consumed the entire nation, what was in danger there? What was in danger? The plan and purpose of God. That from Israel, the promised seed would emerge. You see, the people of Israel did not understand that. The people who question the Bible don't understand and see the promised seed that must come from Israel. And so what was God doing? He was protecting the people of Israel so that the seed, the Messiah, would come forth from Israel as he purposed. Why was this important to Yahuwah God? Because it is through Yahusha the Christ that people can have salvation and everlasting life. And so when Yahuwah God made a decision against the Midianites, it was because he saw the Midianites as though they were a malicious cancer, malignant tumor that would otherwise destroy completely the people of 
Israel. And when Israel is destroyed, which is what the devil wants, there would be no Mashiach. There would be no Messiah. There would be no salvation. And so Yahuwah God, when he made that decision, he had in his mind his eternal purpose, his eternal plan. And this is why it was based upon justice, based upon righteousness, based upon love, based upon mercy. All of that combined. And because all of that was combined, he made a decision. And his judgment is perfect. Because his love, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness is perfect. And this is why, brothers and sisters, Yahuwah God made, absolutely, he made the right and correct decision against the Midianites. Why? Because of Yahuwah's sovereignty as the only creator. Number two, Yahuwah judges with perfect justice and righteousness. And number three, Yahuwah's plan and purpose exceeds our human understanding. Okay? So we just need to trust in Yahuwah God instead of trusting our own wisdom. Trust in the wisdom and love of Yahuwah our God. And so Yahuwah God gives them victory. And now they have the spoils of war. And so what did Yahuwah God say about that? 31, 25, 27. Yahuwah said to Moses, you and Eleazar the priest and the family leaders of each tribe are to make a list of all the plunder taken in the battle, including the people and animals. Then divide the plunder into two parts and give half to the men who fought the battle and half to the rest of the people. So when we're talking about plunder, those are that's wealth, right? When you conquer a nation, you get their wealth. That's the plunder. And so this wealth that they obtained through the war, Bible says, Yahuwah God says, you have to divide that into two parts. One for the army, the other part for the, the people. So they divide it into two parts. However, Yahuwah God also gave the following instruction because he's also thinking about, number one, the Levites, and number two, the priests. And so what does Yahuwah God instruct? For example, the armies who serve in war. Well, Numbers 31, 28, 29. From the army's portion, first give Yahuwah his share of the plunder. One of every 500 of the prisoners and of the cattle, donkey, sheep, and goats. Give this share to the army's half. Uh, give this share of the army's half to Eleazar the priest as an offering to Yahuwah. And so for the army's share of the plunder, a portion of it would go to who? The priest, right? As an offering to Yahuwah, our God. Well, how about the portion that is to be given to the, uh, the, the people? Well, 31, 30, 31, from the half that belongs to the people of Israel, uh, take one of every 50 of the prisoners and of the cattle, donkey, sheep, goats, and other animals, give this share to the Levites who are in charge of maintaining Yahuwah's tabernacle. So Moses and Eleazar the priest did as Yahuwah commanded Moses. And so Yahuwah God instructed them, don't forget about the priests, don't forget about the Levites. And what was the proof that Yahuwah God was behind their triumph and victory? Numbers, numbers 31, 48 to 50. Then all the generals and captains came to Moses and said, We, your servants, have accounted for all the men who went out to battle under our command. Not one of us is missing. So we are presenting the items of gold we captured as an offering to Yahuwah from our share of the plunder, armbands, bracelets, rings, earrings, and necklaces. This will purify our lives before Yahuwah and make us right with him. And so what was the proof that Yahuwah God was behind their victory? They went to war, but they had no casualties. Can you imagine? Not one is missing. No one perished in the war. Only the Midianites. That's what you call a perfect war. No casualties. Everyone was accounted for. And because they recognized the hand of Yahuwah God, what did they do? They remembered Yahuwah God. They thanked him and gave him an offering. And so they were grateful and thankful. We too should be like that. When Yahuwah God blesses us in a special and powerful way, let us remember 
to thank him and to be grateful. What was expressed by the armies, the army, the people who fought in the war, when they gave thanks to Yahuwah God, Numbers 31, 51 and 54. So Moses and Eleazar, the priests, received the gold from all the military commanders, all kinds of jewelry and crafted objects. In all the gold that the generals and captains presented as a gift to Yahuwah weighed about 420 pounds. All the fighting men had taken, had taken some of the plunder for themselves. So Moses and Eleazar, the priests, accepted the gifts from the generals and captains and brought the gold to the tabernacle as a reminder to Yahuwah that the people of Israel belong to him. You see, when we thank God, when we remember him for all the things he has done for us, it's a way of expressing to Yahuwah God that we want to remain a people belonging to him. And so, brothers and sisters, we today who belong to Yahushua, we are the people of God. And we should always be grateful and thankful because Yahuwah God is with us. But the question is, and I want you to think about this question, are we fighting in the holy war today? Are we? <laughs> are we fighting in the holy war? <laughs> yes or no? Yes. But it's a different kind of war. What do you mean? The book of 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. We have to keep in mind the ceremonies of the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Testament. Everything happening in the Old Testament points to who? Yahushua, the good thing to come. He has come. He died on the cross. He has redeemed us. And by means of his shed blood, a new covenant has been established. In this new covenant, Bible says... The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. In other words, there's this movement from killing to something else. Loving and grace, right? That's why we live in the age of grace. The new covenant is characterized by grace and love. This is why even if we are fighting a war, it's a different kind of war. What do you mean it's a different kind of war? We are no longer using any physical weapons to kill people physically. Did you get that? Because there are people who might use the Bible and cry out holy war and they buy their artillery, get their physical weapons like guns, machete, right? Uh, I don't know what else they're gonna use, but no, that's not the way it works during the days of grace, during the new covenant. With the new covenant that was ushered by Yahushua the Christ, are we allowed to do these things anymore? In the book of Matthew 26, 52, put away your sword, Yahushua told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. And so in the war that we are fighting, we're not going to use physical swords. Well, what war are we fighting? Why are we not going to use physical swords? Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against all evil spirits in the heavenly places. Are we fighting a war? Yeah. What kind of war are we fighting? It's not a war against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not a physical war. What are we fighting against? Against the devil and his minions. And so this is a spiritual battle, a spiritual war that we are fighting. In this spiritual war, what is absolutely useless? Guns, swords, that's useless. Those weapons will do us no good. What we need are weapons against the strategies of the devil because he's the leader of this war that we're fighting, right? This spiritual war is led by the devil and he will use a lot of strategies. And so what are, what are our weapons? How can we win 
this spiritual war. Second Corinthians 10, three down to five, we are human. We're flesh and blood, right? But we don't wage war as humans do. What does that mean? We use God's mighty weapons. What are they? The words of God, the Bible. That is our weapon, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So what are the weapons that we need to use and use well so that we can be victorious in this spiritual battle or spiritual war that we are fighting now? What we need are God's mighty weapons, the words of God. This is why we're studying the words of God. And what is the purpose of the words of God as a weapon? It is to knock down strongholds, principles of human philosophy that seek to take people away from following God. An example of that is what we discussed today. People who dismiss God, people who dismiss the Bible because of instances where Yahuwah God mandates the killing of the Midianites. And so they say, how can God be holy and righteous when he did that? And so what do we use to fight against false arguments and human reasoning like that? We use the words of God. They are our weapons. And so what do we need to do? We need to stockpile on spiritual weapons. We need to know more of the word of God. And we need to use the words of God so that we can destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. This is why if we want to win the spiritual battle, we have to keep studying the word of God. We need to do that every single day, every single week in our life. Well, what else do we need to do so that we can win the spiritual battle? Let's read the book of Numbers, which, what we start, which is what we study today, right? Numbers 31. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, on behalf of the people of Israel, take revenge on the Midianites for leading them into idolatry. After that, you will die and join your ancestors. So if we are going to win this victory, brethren, we have to make sure we're fighting on the right side. In other words, we need to be fighting with who? With God. We don't want God to fight against us. Why did God? choose to act in revenge against the Midianites. What does the Bible say? Because of idolatry. One of the most ancient sins. One of the sins that God hates the most is idolatry. This is why if we want to win this, the spiritual battle, we need to remove all the idols in our life. We need to be Baal wreckers, right? Remove all the Baals in our life. And so how do we do that? Isaiah 42, 8, I am Yahuwah, God says. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carb idols. How can we make sure that we do not anger Yahuwah, God? How can we make sure we will not be guilty of idolatry? How can we make sure we remove the Baals in our life? Bible says we must never Give glory that belongs to Yahuwah God to anyone else. There are different forms of idolatry. There are metal idolatries made of metal, things that you can touch. But there are also mental idolatries and people or spiritual leaders who can be considered an idol. And so when we give glory to anyone else other than Yahuwah God, what is that called? Idolatry. Do not forget what Yahuwah God did to the Midianites because of idolatry. Brothers and sisters, we must, we must keep clear from all forms of idolatry. So what else must we do to win the spiritual battle? Here it is. We have to kill the five false kings of Satan. Remember, what kind of battle are we fighting? It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And the devil is the leader. And he uses five false kings to try and defeat us. So what do we need to do? We need to slay these five false kings of Satan. Do you know what they are? Do you know who they are? Who are these kings that we must put to death or kill? Well, 
Let's go back to Numbers 31, 7 to 8. They attacked Midian as Yahuwah had commanded Moses. And they killed all the men. All five of the Midianite kings. Evi, Rechem, Zor, Hur, and Reba. So what do we need to also kill so that we can win this spiritual war? We have to kill these Midianite kings. And they're given names. You notice that? What are their names? Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, Hur, and Reba. We need to kill all of them. What? What are you talking about, brother? Aren't they already dead? Well, that's true. They are already dead. But I'm not talking about a physical killing. I'm not talking about a physical king. Because the one in charge is the devil. And we believe the Bible is full of patterns. You believe that? The Bible, because it is a Hebrew book. And Yahuwah God is the author of that book. It's full of patterns, many patterns, even the names that were chosen and given because God is behind all history, including the giving of the names. And we know there's a purpose for the name, right? And so even when it comes to the names, we can find certain patterns. For example, Evi, do you know the name of the, the name Evi has a meaning in Hebrew? What is the meaning of Evi? It means my desire. And so we need to kill this false king of Satan. My desire. What does that mean? James 1, 14 and 15, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so the Bible says that all of us human beings, we have fleshly desires earthly desires right human desires but we need to make sure that we go, don't go beyond the boundary we don't go over what is allowed by Yahuwah God because if you go over what is allowed it gives birth to what sinful actions and that will destroy us so the first king that we need to slay is the king of fleshly desire right who's the next king wreck him you know what Rechem means? You're going to be surprised. Rechem. We have to slay this king too. What does Rechem mean? In Hebrew, Rechem means variegation. <laughs> variegation. What on earth does that mean? It comes from the word variegate. What does that mean? Well, from Merriam's dictionary, to diversify in external appearance, especially with different colors. To enliven or give interest to by means of variety. In other definitions, to adorn with colors, embroider, or self-glorification. It's when you parade yourself to be better than everyone else. It's when you show yourself so that people can be attracted to you and say things like, wow. When they want their desire to be glorified fulfilled that is that part that we need to destroy why it's pride right it is pride that fuels self-glorification and according to scriptures pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall so self-glory is another king that we need to slay what's the next king zur <laughs> i wonder what that means in hebrew in hebrew it means rock Rock. Rock is hard. Hardening of the heart. Stubbornness. Hardening of the head. Rock. Right? That's why in Hebrews 3, 12 to 15, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly Till the end, the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So the Bible says, do not harden your head. Do not harden your heart. What causes our heart to harden? Unbelief and sin. What happens when our hearts become hard? We turn away from God and we end up in rebellion. And that will not be for our salvation. 
This is why we need to conquer a hardening of the heart, a hardening of the head called stubbornness because it results in rebellion. And so we need to slay the self-will. There's some people who are so self-willed, they will follow their heart and their mind no matter what, even if they know it's wrong. Even when it's clear from the Bible, it is against his will. But because it's coming from their self, they say things like, it's my life. I can do whatever I want. We have to kill that part. Self-will. What is the next king? Her. What does that mean? Well, again, her means whole. It's when people become discouraged. When there's a hole, your zeal kind of loses its way out of you. You feel empty, discouraged, low energy, lack of passion, right? And so even though you serve and worship, there's no passion anymore because it's been burned out. It's, been, it's gone. It's out of you. This is why Yahusha mentions in Revelation 3, verse 16, so because you are lukewarm, neither heart, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Yes, they may go through the motions and the rituals of worship, but there's no zeal, right? There's no more passion. There's no more love. There's no enthusiasm anymore. And the Bible calls that lukewarm worship. It's like coffee. You know, when it comes to coffee, it's good if it's hot, right? It's good if it's cold, but if it's lukewarm, you spit it out, right? And so what that means is one who's lukewarm, one who's a lukewarm worshiper, they're indifferent. They don't really care. If there's worship, good. If there's not, doesn't matter. They're indifferent. They have no passion. They have no zeal. This is why the Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so when it comes to worship and service, we need to make sure it is done with zeal. And so to do that, we need to kill the, the uh, false king called indifference. We need to remove that, right? The last king, what is, what is the name? Reba. Reba strange because it just means four. Number four. And often the number four is used to pertain to the earth, the world, like the four, the four corners of the earth, the four directions, the four cardinal directions of the earth, right? And so what the Bible is telling us is do not be like the world. And in Romans 12, 2, this is exactly what it says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so even though we live in the world, we must be different from the world because we are supposed to be stars that shine for the world. But how can we shine before the world if we act and, and copy exactly what the world does, right? And this is why we cannot copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Instead, we need to be transformed. What does that mean? It begins with changing the way we think. We have to be Yahusha-minded. Because when we think like Yahusha, we act like Yahusha. And the principles we live by will be contrary to what the world and the behavior of this world considers to be appropriate. Okay? So that is the king of worldliness. So those are the five kings that we have to slay so that we can win this war. And there's one more. One more. In the book of Numbers, the attack Midian, right? All five of the Midianite kings, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba. They also, there was an addition, right? They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. So we have to kill Balaam. Well, wait a minute. What does that mean, kill Balaam? He's already dead. Yes, but his influence, his ways are still very much alive today. You know what that is? This is what Yahusha gives us insight to, Revelation 2, verse 14. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. So we have to remember the story of Balak and Balaam, right? Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel, but that did not work. 
because Balaam says Israel's protected by God. That's the people of God. And so Balaam figured out, hey, Balak, I have a better way to, to uh, curse Israel. Instead of me cursing them, why don't we teach them how to curse themselves, <laughs> right? And so what did Balaam convince Balak to do? Get the Midianite women to convince the people of Israel to worship Baal and to practice what Baal endorses, including sexual immorality. So idolatry and immorality tripped up the people of God. So Yahusha is speaking to those who belong to his church or kahal or assembly. And he says, you tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. Question, who are the ones who teach the word of God? Aren't they not the spiritual leaders? And so Yahuwah God is telling us we should not tolerate those who teach things that you know are wrong, right? Because there are some who belong to a religious organization. And even though they know what is being taught them and what they're doing, their spiritual leaders are doing is wrong, they will say things like, oh, I will just let Yahuwah God take care of that. I will not get in the way. I'll just wait for God to fix it. Right? Yahushua says, no. Yahushua says, you should not tolerate that. We need to be vocal about it. This is why in Jeremiah chapter 5, the Bible says, Yahuwah God, when he looked at Israel, when the leaders are doing things against his will, and the people are offering no objections. And so God says, I'm going to put an end to it all. Brothers and sisters, we must not tolerate false doctrine, Doctrine that causes people to be tripped up because it leads to sin against Yahuwah, our God. So do not tolerate false teaching and spiritual leaders who cause others to be tripped up. You have to confront them. And you have to be vocal about it. So how can we win the spiritual battle? Number one, use the words of God as our weapons, right? Number two, reject all forms of idolatry. Number three, Put to death the false kings of Satan. What are they again? Fleshly desire, self-glory, self-will, indifference, and worldliness. What else? Do not tolerate the teaching of Balaam. In other words, if you know it's a false doctrine, if you know people are doing things that will lead others to stumble and fall, you have to do something about that. The Bible says if you know a good thing to do, but you don't do it, it's a sin against you. But most of all, we want to be victorious against the devil, against the enemy. What is paramount for all of us to do? I want to read one more passage before we pray. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9, 6. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. The Bible says, if we truly want to be victorious over the devil, stay alert. Number one, be strong in faith. Number two, but most of all, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. You know why? Because the devil has no chance against God. See, we have no chance really against the devil. I mean, who are we? We're about puny humans. We're nothing really against the devil. But the devil is nothing against Jehovah God. And so if we humble ourselves under the mighty power of God, brethren, the devil cannot be victorious over us. Instead, just like the people of Israel who had zero casualties, we too can enjoy the perfect protection of Yahuwah God so that we will be victorious in this spiritual war that we are fighting at this moment. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, Yahuwah, Almighty God in heaven, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, for we find peace and comfort in knowing yes. 
yes. that you are our protector. Yes. And so as we fight the spiritual war yes. against the adversary, we know that we have spiritual weapons. Yes. Your holy word that you have given to us. Yes. Help us to understand them, to use them well. Yes. At the same time, teach us to humble ourselves yes. under your mighty hand. Because it is by your hand and by you alone that we can claim any kind of victory. Amen. And so we praise you, Father. Yes. You are our God. We will not give glory to anyone here on earth. Yes. You, you alone deserve all glory. Amen. The glory that belongs to you, we will always proclaim to the ends of the Amen. earth. Yahushua, our King, thank you. Yes. Be with us in our fight of faith. Yes. Because we do long for your appearing, yes. that we may see you face to face at last, yes. and you can take us to your heavenly kingdom. Amen. May you be with us now, for yes. we need to feel your presence. Yes. Surround us, please, with your peace, yes. that no matter what we face in our life, we will have this inner confidence, this inner peace, knowing that all things will go well, yes. despite whatever we have to face. Amen. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers. Yes. Always Amen. be with your people. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.